Hello, and welcome to Someday We'll All Be Dead, a podcast where we talk about all the things with a social work perspective. I'm your host, Hallie Harris, and I'm a hospice social worker. This took me a little longer to edit than I planned, but this is the rest of the conversation I had after our ink therapy conversation. I was continuing to get a tattoo while we were talking, so you will occasionally hear me uh, squirming and taking deep breaths. Um, But this is just more talk about tattoo. We talk about veganism. We talked about cremated remains in your tattoos. um, And also about conspiracy theories and just general life stuff. So um, I hope you're entertained by it as much as I was. Uh, If you're not, then I look forward to our next uh, topic. And if you are, then enjoy. A brief note, I did try to regulate the sound so it's not so up and down. There are times when one of us is further away from the microphone, so I hope you're not too distracted by the noise differences. Thanks. You haven't had anybody ask you for one of those uh, barbed wire tattoos yet, have you? Oh, that's the spot right in my side. That's so weird. No, I'm waiting. I can't wait. That's what I should have put on the podcast, what I'm really (laughs) wanting to do. (laughs) The transition of my business... Uh, I didn't say is actually going towards doing only barbed wire. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to bring it back single-handedly. Nice. Mullets and barbed wire. Yeah, people are going to be like, oh, you got the barbed wire from the night. It's like, oh, no, no. This is 2020. (laughs) This barbed wire is fresh. Now it's going to be Constantine wire instead of barbed wire. That's right. That's right. Yeah, right here. It's so fucking weird because it's pinching me right in my side. <laughs> it's like you stab there and then it stabs me here. Oh, that is that is pretty weird. That's pretty weird. And I haven't had that with any other tattoo. Like, it's hurt before, but yeah. in that spot. It's never hurt in a different part of my body. Mm-hmm. You would just would not think that nerves in your legs would be that sensitive. Yeah, right? Well, let's give you more then. Great. And we were talking about tattoos, and he had this tattoo that he said um, came from one of his people, and it was just rough. It was a rough piece of tattoo. Mm. And I think he just did lettering. And I was like saying, because I had just watched this, this show on tattoo culture coming back to some societies and cultures that hasn't been there for quite a while mm-hmm. some of the youth are being taught how to tattoo keep it alive <clears throat> for indigenous populations yeah exactly so i was talking to him about it and he said and i said well it's cool that you have your own tattoo uh guy to do that keep it alive mm-hmm. and kind of talked about how well tattoo is not really part of our culture and we wear masks yeah. But we wouldn't want to have that on us permanently. We want to take, be able to take the masks off. And that just kind of blew my mind. That here's the style of art that would probably be one of the best tattoo arts in the world. <laughs> the, the Northwest Coastal, the Pacific, Coast yeah, Salish. Northwest, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and is recognized, at, you know, uh, internationally as this amazing art form. Um, but it shouldn't, it shouldn't be on the skin. Uh, from this guy. You know, this is just one person. And I haven't seen a lot of art unless it's a white person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was really an interesting thing. And I had a friend who wanted to get Native American art tattooed on him. And he was very not Native American. 
and uh, and I just yeah, at this point in time, I, I wouldn't do it, you know. Mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't do it for anyone because it doesn't feel right. Yeah. And for me, that's part of it is like it's easy for me to say no to some of these requests of doing another culture's art on them because it not only does it not feel right, but it doesn't feel like that's what I'm meant to do. Mm-hmm. So that makes it easy. Yeah, you know, I really hadn't thought about it, but I don't think I've seen any or many, if any, Coast Salish people with tattoos. Yeah. Lots of totems, lots of artwork. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I went to a powwow in Seattle a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I don't recall any of that being a thing. Artwork uh, as in tattoo. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Didn't even occur to me. Yeah. Interesting that tattoo is so much a part of some indigenous cultures, but not others. Yeah, I thought that was strange too. What made the list and what didn't? I guess from like almost a, a shamanic standpoint, I could see how it could be dangerous or you wouldn't want certain things on your body mm. because of what they would stand for that you couldn't shift into something else or the energy it carries. Yeah, I realize now what hurts. <laughs> it hurts? Is it didn't start hurting until after you washed it down with whatever that is. Is that witch hazel? Yeah. Okay, we have to stop. I can come. I think the alcohol worked all right. You say uncle. When you say uncle, we'll stop. I'm not doing it. Not doing it. Well, I love the idea of, of um, ink therapy. And it's a, a great question. I guess I haven't really put a lot of thought into exactly if there is like this one thing that keeps people coming back for more or if it's like the variety of things we, we talked about. I'm trying to think for myself, why do I keep coming back? And I don't, I'm not sure if I, I know why exactly. I just, I love tattoos. I love the images. I love the experiences that I have with the tattoo artists. Mm-hmm. I, do, I like traveling to go see them and get the work done and I don't know. I love the whole thing. And I think there's something exciting when you make such a major change on your body. That's exciting. I also have started to come with less idea and more just being open to what the artist has to offer. Mm. And that's also exciting too. Like when you find someone who is a, a really good artist and you like their work and you just trust in them. But as an artist, do you feel like you need some input or do you, would you rather have just free reign over the design? Um, well, I did this, for example, I do a wide, uh, I would say kind of a wide range of different styles. So it might be a little bit more difficult for me, but some of the artists I'm going to, they're very niche. Mm. And so when I like, my guy who's mentoring me in Norway, I came in for a tattoo. And he says, well, what do you want? I said, I don't know. So I was showing some of my artwork and he picked up on something and it went into a different direction and he started drawing on me and he drew this beautiful piece and I love it. And, um, and I just kind of trusted in the process. And so uh, I got a big shoulder piece of, uh, of two ravens and I just said to the guy, I want a raven coming and going. And he put that on there, and it turned out perfect, and he enjoyed it. And um, I find with a certain level, of direction is good, but also pulling back and letting the art 
of this artist come through, mm -hmm. um, you get some great, great pieces and a fun experience. Um, and so when I look at my body, I get to see a true collaboration. Um, and for me, I really like my own artwork as well. So I'm able to practice on my legs. So I still get my own artwork. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I get to have all these other artists um, put their work on me. And so when I take my shirt off or, uh, you know, I can see my back, I'm going to be able to see an art gallery. I get to go to an art gallery. So that's really cool. Mm, I like that. Yeah. I made that mistake with my very first tattoo, um, getting uh, my Nordic tattoo, getting some runes, and I love them, but I was also found out later what a world-class artist she is and that I kind of wasted an opportunity for her to do her thing. Mm -hmm. And so after that, I was like, nope, not doing that again. So I, I slowly learned that, you know, these people are putting in years so many hours into their craft they a lot of them are if you're willing to pay uh, and and possibly travel they're world-class artists uh, let them do their thing man just yeah so well i told you the second that you started doing tattoos that i wanted a piece you just... did you were you were on board from the beginning that was, <laughs> that was really cool it's been fun to see how i've progressed over the you know the past couple years um, and where I'm going. I mean, full disclosure, I do have a piece of your actual paper art on my wall. Yes, you So do. it should be no surprise that I wanted to get on board before you got mega famous so I couldn't get an appointment. <laughs> yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> but it is, uh, it is nice to have, um, to have people who supported me through the whole journey and wanted me to be successful. I knew I'd be good at this. So it definitely made making some scary leaps easier. Because there, when I first started, there were mornings I would wake up pretty terrified of a day full of me of tattooing when I'm, I'm still, you know, reasonably new and, you know, the gravity of putting something permanent on somebody is so important and sacred to me so but then i worked through it and here i am someday you'll be able to add this dragon onto your portfolio there you go there when you go. when i'm dead and you finish it <laughs> yeah i'm gonna put a i'm gonna put a bid in to get this stretched i'm gonna make a bomber jacket <laughs> on this piece of leg <sighs> all right buffalo bill yeah right Maybe I shouldn't, actually. Maybe that shouldn't be on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he does amazing work, and he's also slightly cannibalistic. I'm not sure if he eats it, but he wears it. <laughs> That's funny. Well, it's just strange to me what we, what we have okayed to wear. And I don't know, the whole thing of... of mortality and animals and what gets picked as uh, weird and what is normal and how we decide which animals make what list that's no no that's a pet no 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 we eat those no no yes we wear them um, I think about that a lot yeah it's an interesting idea I watched this great bit on uh, I follow this vegan um, Instagram 
Live Kindly, I think it's called. And it was this woman uh, advertising a different, uh, an alternative milk. Um, and so people are trying it and um, she's going through it and they're describing it and she's doing um, a blind taste test. And uh, people are uh, asking, so what is this? Uh, it's dog milk. Dog? D-O-G, dog? Yeah, uh, it's dog milk. <laughs> I'm trying to do it with her accent because she's British. <laughs> it's dog milk. Uh, <laughs> And, and the reactions she got were the best. Um, and it was a great display of showing what we accept as, I will drink that milk, but I won't drink that milk. And yeah. it's, it's really weird because if you think about it, we drink a growth hormone that is created for another animal to become from a little calf to a giant animal, mm-hmm. we drink it. And no other animal, unless under dire circumstances of fostering or something like that, no other animals, to my knowledge, do that. Mm-hmm. No chimp says, you know what I could go for a glass of? <laughs> Big glass of elephant milk. Who's with me? <laughs> Let's wait till they're sleeping. <laughs> It's it's weird. It's really weird. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think once I started to think about it differently and like open up my mind to like what what these weird habits we do are and that we accept. Well, I guess the next question is why are they so hard to break? Yeah. Uh I can't believe I'm not vegetarian considering that I think about this all the time and I cannot eat food that looks like the thing. Well, I think if you start watching PETA vi- videos a bit, it helps <laughs> about animal cruelty and how they slaughter animals. Um, there's some great documentaries out there right now. Oh, I don't have to watch them. I know. So You're me, not vegan, are you? Uh, most of the time I am, actually, vegan. Well, I have salad tonight in case you... Well, you know... That's two things that happen that I are important to me. I do like being vegan for the most part, but I also like being a good guest and a gracious and a gracious guest. So when something's offered to me, the animal has already been killed. I try to honor it, honor the hospitality that's provided for me, and but I don't I don't really buy it for myself to eat at home. But when I go out and someone's willing to feed me, then I I accept that. Well. I appreciate your graciousness, but please don't feel like you need to tear your guts up eating beef. No, I... I, I exper- we have alternatives. Thank you. I experience it enough to where there's enough enzymes in my tummy to not freak out too bad. Okay. Because um, I know that can be very, very rough yeah. on your digestive system. Yeah, it, it can be, and I've, I've had that happen to me. But I will occasionally eat meat enough to where I don't think it, it bothers me as much as it used to, so... Yeah, and it's weird because my wife, she's, she was kind of the one that got me into being vegan, and um, she had to stop being vegan for dietary Hashimoto's disease, I believe. Oh. And so she, um, she was eating grains and eating really well as a, for a vegan diet, and she looked terrible. Mm. <laughs> and once she started eating meat and stopped, got off the grain stuff, man... It was like in a week's time, she looked amazing. So to me, it's like 
uh, she's like, I hate eating these animals, but I feel so much better, you know, or I look so much better. So it's a real tough one. I don't know what the answer is for something like that. Your skin is thirsty today. I really like that. <laughs> thirsty skin. Now you really sound like Buffalo Bill. Well, yeah, I guess I kind of do. It's just taking the ink really well today. I don't have to, um, I don't have to pluck as much to, uh, to get it in there. And it's just, it's really taking the ink well. It's really nice. But yeah, it's, uh, it's been something that I've had to kind of mentally wrap my, myself around it. And I think about all the, the, the food that we grow to feed the food Oh that yeah, we eat. It's just kind of like we when we could like eat their food. It's mm -hmm. kind of, it's kind of crazy, really. And then I see how much water, and land and resources get put into the animal of meat that we're eating that we don't have to eat. So it's taking all these resources. It's taking this farmer's time. Um, and I'm I'm wondering really what is essential. What is when we've got hungry people, and I know that's partially capitalism, I know that's it's structural, but I mean, really. Well, and I and I wonder how much of it is like, like you said, she wasn't feeling well, yeah. and everybody has an opinion on dietary needs, of course. Sure. Including the scientific community, they can't seem to agree either. Like. Yeah. Is it paleo? Is it yeah. vegan? Is yeah. it vegetarian? Is right. it pescatarian? Yep. Um, you know, some of the healthiest, longest lived communities in the world yeah. Yeah. eat fish. Sure. And not a lot of other meats. Yep. Do fish count as meats? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, they have faces. <laughs> they have feelings. They have feelings. Yeah. They, um... They've shown some videos about fish and how they befriend other animals. It's really interesting because I think fish have been an easy throwaway because they're so unlike humans that... They're not mammals. Yeah, they're, you can disconnect from them that much further. It's easier to eat them unless you come from the Midwest and then then it's not easy to eat any fish. <laughs> right, because they're not fresh. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're not accustomed to eating fish from my experience. Right. Midwesterners really struggle with, because it tastes, quote-unquote, fishy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Well, it, and I don't like fish that taste fishy either. So. Yeah. <laughs> and I live in probably one of the best places to get seafood, but I don't really like seafood. There you go. I mean, I'm not even a fan of lobster. <gasps> I'll eat it. But it doesn't seem like worth the work for the cost of a giant underwater bug. <laughs> underwater bug, I like it. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. I know the population may grow unless something catastrophic happens. And uh, I think people are starting to think differently, you know. Some of the problems that the wet markets in China are causing, and I'm not gonna say it's just them because all you have to do is go to some of our meat processing plants, and you can oh see my some God. pretty dire situations. So I don't, I think we'd be hypocrites to point fingers. I mean, didn't mad cow disease start here? <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm. I, I don't be surprised. remember, but yeah, it was pretty. Yeah. When you and I know they still feed hogs. Uh, hogs. So these are what. 
Yeah, down in the south in the hog farms, they'll take dead hogs and grind them up and feed them back oh to the Oh my hogs. god, don't tell me that. I'm never eating pork again. Bacon's <laughs> out. Forget it. <sighs> it's pretty rough. I mean, you see some of the cheapest meats out there and it's pretty rough. Now, I've seen some of those documentaries, uh, Forks Over Knives or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's another one I watched at the same time as that. There's one that came out not too long ago called What the Health. That's a really good one. I don't know if that's the other one I watched or not. If you haven't, I would suggest it. It's a, it's really good. Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, gosh, milk's a tough one too, because it's not just milk as we know it. Milk is in so many things now and our taste buds have adjusted to eat things with cheese yeah. or butter or ice cream or, you know, how many other things get, have dairy. Yeah, well, but you know, dairy's gone way down consumption, so dairy farmers are having some dairy, big dairies have gone out of business, and I think it's a adjustment that we can make. There's things in dairy that are addictive, so you're dealing with, at this point, a drug, mm -hmm. um, and it's being willing to step away from that, and you're right, there's cheese in a lot of things, but the market the food market's going to adjust to the demand of the public so if we all said enough no more dairy they would have they would have to change right we don't have to eat dairy we don't have to eat meat we don't have to eat a lot of the things they're putting in front of us but we choose to and if we didn't they would have to change and people say well what about all the jobs that are lost well people find new jobs uh, there's still a demand for meat-like foods or people still need to eat so if they're not eating this it might have to expand into other areas of food that you know maybe we haven't explored or are just going to get bigger so things happen but we're an unhealthy nation from our eating habits so yeah i don't really like the way that they make milk cows anyway because it involves having calves and having them taken away from their mothers yeah yeah that's a great pita video watching the calf I don't have out. to watch a PETA video to know that happens yeah yeah it's pretty pretty basic having a mom and their their offspring separated I mean it's not like chickens chickens I mean don't get me wrong there's terrible things that happen to chickens too don't even get me started about that but chickens just lay eggs mm. they don't need to breed to lay an egg you know whereas a cow does not just produce milk it produces milk when it's had a baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. And that's probably not a pleasant experience for the cow to be inseminated. Right. That's probably the least of the, I don't want to say least pleasant experiences. That's probably the most pleasant experience compared to all the other things that happen after. Yeah, I mean, just so if you think about these animals having feelings, can communicate with one another... If you take it... I mean, anybody's seen a cow, of the, the video of the cow that's on grass for the first time, running around and jumping and bucking and... Playing. Anybody thinking a cow doesn't have feelings. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait for dinner. <laughs> now you're going to make me feel terrible. Don't. Don't feel terrible. I do. Cow's already gone. going to enjoy the meat. And, uh... 
you know, the meat replacements now are getting to be quite good. Have you seen that? I saw, um, it wasn't a documentary, but it was a piece of a documentary where they were talking about meat substitutes. And one of the things was meat cells grown in a lab. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've they're seen... not actually growing the animal. They're growing the, at this point, it's like chicken nuggets, basically. But not like full. They haven't figured out how to make something that looks like the steak, like the, because there's so much more that goes into the actual forming of a muscle. But they can make the cells to make the meat part of it. How? Without the fat is the thing. It doesn't have like all the veins and the. It was really interesting to watch, but everybody turned their nose up at it as soon as they heard what it was. But it's like it's the same thing. It's literally meat. It's yeah. not a meat substitute. It is meat. It's I just re- not grown on a living, breathing thing. Yeah. People want to kill something. <clears throat> I want to get it. I want to eat an animal. Well, then go slaughter it yourself. No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that was an Adventures of Memento Mori episode. Adve- and what was that again? That podcast, Adventures of Memento Mori. Oh. He did a whole episode, two-part episode on... Would it change my mind if I had to be a part of the process of killing? Yeah. To consume meat, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he talked a lot about what we're talking about. Nice. I don't know who did this, but they did some very nice line work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you're thinking about it. I know you're an animal lover. I love the argument uh, meat eaters say, well, where do you get your protein? That's my favorite. And, and I love saying, well, the same place your protein gets its protein. <laughs> <laughs> that is the trouble is being a super picky eater. Mm-hmm. I don't like a lot of foods. Mm-hmm. So. But meat is like yum yums. What's that? But meat is one of them that you like. No, actually, I don't even. <laughs> That's the funny part. I only eat more meat when I'm on a diet. Oh. Because my go-to is the food that they eat. (laughs) It's just pastas, Uh (laughs) breads, and carbs, and terrible Uh things that Uh make me fat. Uh Uh, It's not actually the meat. So I actually eat more meat when I'm trying to lose weight. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's not my go-to. And that's not to say I don't like a good steak. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does taste good if it's made right, but Agreed. I still do think about it. And like, I can't even buy a whole roasted chicken in the store anymore. I can't <laughs> strip it because it yeah. looks like a chicken. Yeah. I can hardly eat a drumstick anymore. Oh. Because it looks like the leg of the chicken. Right. I just recently watched... Uh, that Temple Grandin movie. Have you seen that? What is it? It's a movie about Temple Grandin. That woman with autism that changed the way they do cattle processing. Uh, no. Um, is it Claire Danes that played her? Mm-hmm. No, Which I... is problematic, but aside from that. Yeah. Did she? So I'm, I'm guessing she didn't do a very good job. No, she did a fine job. I just, I hadn't really known the full story of Temple Grandin. Oh, okay. And it was interesting. I don't know the full story either. Um, 
so her mom is pretty amazing. They just wanted her to like throw Temple in a institution and leave her, you know? Yeah. Because of her autism. And she ended up going to stay with, and I could get the details wrong on this, but ended up going to stay with her aunt or something, and it was on a, on a cattle farm. Or they had cows anyway. Mm. I don't think they had a lot. It wasn't like a mega farm or anything. Okay. Um, but she Tough one. saw this cow... I think it went in for shots or branding or something, but they had to put it in a chute. Mm. And she ended up at some point building a chute for herself because what she saw was that the cows would calm down when this thing compressed around them. And so I know I'm messing this up and skipping some parts, but in college or whatever, in the school, she built this contraption in her room, rebuilt it. And they, you know, tried to tear it all down, whatever, whatever. Well, she ended up, I don't remember if she wanted to work at a cattle farm or for some reason ended up at a cattle farm. And was seeing these cows go through and they think they were getting like lice and bugs and stuff. They were going through a wash. Okay. And there, it was a ramp, and it brought them down into this solution. And then they'd have to swim across or whatever. And they were losing cows. Like, some cows would die. And they were just... And, it, and the way that they went through, like, it was... The cows were super stimulated and anxious and all this stuff. And so she was watching the natural pattern of the cows. Mm-hmm. And she designed, redesigned the entire thing because they were just like, oh, you lose some cows. Like, that's just the cost of business or whatever. Right. She redesigned the path that they take so that it it was the natural rotation of the herd to walk through. So Uh it was like a spiral. And then they went down. She redesigned the ramp so that they didn't slip or whatever and they just walked straight into it instead of having to jump into it. Mm-hmm. And like cows weren't dying and they were happy, you know, they weren't stressed out. So, I mean, she wasn't, and same with going to slaughter. Like she wasn't fixing the actual death of the animal, which was quick, but she was trying to make it so that their lives were better mm-hmm. before they died. And that they weren't, they were, like, there was no need for them to be stressed out while all this was taking place. Right. She revolutionized the cattle industry. Oops, sorry. It's okay. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Sometimes you just need someone to be able to look outside the box, right? Yeah. I mean, she was seeing it from the cattle standpoint, you know? Yeah. I bet she got some real pushback. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not only for being a woman, being autistic. Yeah. But giving a shit about the cows. Yeah. But then when she was actually allowed to build it through her tenacity mm-hmm. <laughs> and the farmers actually got to watch it work, you know, the cat, the cows weren't fighting like they weren't trying to get away. They were just going along. Yeah. Which caused them less stress. Right. The farmers or whatever, you know, like it was better for everybody. It just took an adjustment. Someday we'll have Star Trek replicators. That's true. 
But when we do, what will the food be made out of? Isn't it just in Star Trek they take and they just... Like, what's the raw material? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> raw. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I guess that is the question. We need protein. And the question is always, does our body need meat? And there are people, like you're saying, that are healthier when they eat meat. Yeah, or something. But then lots of people that are not healthier when they eat meat. Yeah. And I assume our ancestors ate meat, because how else did they survive, right? I mean, that's how we became friends with dogs. We were hunting the same prey. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I should say wolves, not dogs, but... It's tough. It's tough because um, agriculture... The agricultural age changed things. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not necessarily designed to eat meat. Our, I mean, we don't have canine teeth, so... We don't, and our intestinal tract is the same as all the herbivores on the planet, and nothing like the carnivores on the planet. Hmm. So, it's... That certainly seems to be a big indicator. <laughs> yeah. And people do talk about their little itty-bitty canines, uh, about, well, what do you call these? I'm like, uh, letter openers? That's about <laughs> all they can do, bud. You tell me when you can chase down something and bite into their neck and kill them. Yeah. But I think there's also the machismo of people just want to feel more connected to being a predator because <clears throat> it makes them feel cooler rather than, you know, uh, the reality of who we are more like. Um, I don't know. I think a silverback gorilla is pretty badass and elephants and a rhino. I think if you put a rhino at full charge up against most carnivores, that rhino's going to win. <laughs> so Gorillas don't eat meat? Like our closest primate, 6% of their diet is meat. Mm. And I think it's just opportunistic, honestly. So they're not really... And they've got much bigger canines, obviously, than we do. That's true. Huge. But, yeah. Um, and they don't need them because they're 10 times stronger than us. Yeah, right? But they've got huge molars, and they just grind on their food and grind, and they just have all day to eat. They just mm. eat and eat and eat. So, And they have to to get enough calories, right? So, I found, I saw this documentary, it was a six-part documentary we, we did an episode on called Why We Hate. Oh, yeah. that's. Did a you see it? I'm trying to think. I've seen so many. It's all running together. I'm not sure. This one started out by talking... About chimps and bonobos. Oh. And yes. why... The river that separated. Yes. Yeah. And, and that the only factor really was availability of resources. And that chimps turned into this aggressive, cannibalistic, violent society that is a patriarchy. Mm. Versus the bonobos who have all the resources and are matriarchal. Yeah. And are chill. Like, don't mm. co compete for anything. And yeah. their only competition is when the chimps come over and eat their babies, which was awful. That's pretty fucked up. I mean, the whole documentary was fascinating, but and also hard to watch. I think I watched at least a bit of it. I couldn't watch more than one episode a day. It was too much. Yeah. But they sense. had some really amazing things. They had a, a guy that was a, a former... 
neo-Nazi. Oh, yeah. And he ended up working for a Jewish guy. That was the only guy that would give him a job. Working for what? A Jewish guy. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. And uh, that was a whole story. And then they talked to... That was the end? The end. Got a job. No, there's... <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot more to it. Okay. You have to listen to the episode. Fair enough. No, the short version is that he ended up breaking this chair. The guy had just said, you know, I'll, I'll pay you just do your hard work and don't break anything. And he had been working for him for a while and broke a chair or something. And he was on the defensive, ready for this guy to come in and be like, fuck you, fuck? you're fired. Yeah. And the guy came in and he was like, paid him his full wage and was like, okay, see you next week. And that instant... Of he was so ready for a fight and it didn't get the reaction he was expecting and in fact wanted him to continue working for him. Yeah. He like went home and threw his Nazi boots away that day and just like started his transition. I mean, it takes a while, obviously, but and yeah. they talked about the factors leading into, you know, his terrible abusive childhood and how he ended up with a group like that. Sure. Needing that connection, needing yep. that familial space. Yep. Absolutely. And how it just ended up that he was with this terrible hate group. But yeah, it was fascinating. And there's another guy that like was a main recruiter for Al Qaeda. Oh wow. <laughs> that was American and changed his name and like was preaching outside mosques and making bad name for Muslims and all this. Muslims. And he was on there and talked about his transition to help people, you know, out of radicalism. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I think we're going to have all your line work. You know, all your line work will be done today. Is that exciting or what? Almost. Almost exciting? I know what line work you have left to do. Oh, yeah. Someone is going up to the middle of, uh, towards your knee for a high five. Mm. I must finish the hand so I can give the high five. <laughs> I'm really grieving the loss of the pine tree in this drawing, but also, mm. no fucking way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, but also celebrating. Well, that one's in my shoulder blade, so that's fun. Wow. That's so weird. Anything you can think of about tattoos that we didn't talk about? Oh, we didn't talk about black and white and grayscale versus color. Oh, sure. We could totally talk about that. That was actually kind of thrown at me when I first got when I got my first tattoo. I wanted it in red, and uh, the guy doing it said, "No, you don't." <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm like, "No." He's like, "No, it's not going to age well." I was like, okay. <laughs> and that was that. So, well, do you agree? Well, I like a little red from time to time, but I, I work almost exclusively in black and white. And I like it. There's a lot you can do with just black and white, and it definitely gives it an appearance. It, color's not going to last as long. It'll fade. Why is that? Because my older tattoos from when I was 18, they're faded and blurred together. The black or the color or... Black. Uh-huh. Well, part of that's going to be different skin. Mm. I've noticed um, 
working on different people's skin reacts differently with the ink. Definitely. And some, some of it ages better and some of it doesn't. But like I said, I've only been doing it for two and a half years or so. Actually, closer to three now. But yeah, that's that'll happen differently with different skin types. But Sounds why strange. is it that color doesn't last as long? It's all ink, right? Well, I think it might be the quality of the ink. Mm. I think I know that's part of it. Um, I know they they're making better color inks these days, so maybe some of them are lasting longer and are better. But it's what, all. What's uh, up with these inks that are allegedly black light? Oh yeah. Have you seen this? Yeah, I have. Mm, those are interesting. Not really my wheelhouse, but I could see if you want to get into a really exclusive nightclub constantly, that <laughs> that is a great. Actually, I've seen some ones that are pretty cool under a light. Oh, I, I know. Hmm. We didn't talk about cremated remains in tattooing. Cremated remains? Mm-hmm. As far as skinning people? No, people actually having their cremated remains putting into dust and mixed in with the ink and then getting tattooed. Holy cow. You haven't heard of this? No. Oh, it's a thing. Well, it doesn't surprise me. <sighs> It would definitely do it. Definitely. Of course you would do it. <laughs> it just sounds like fun. It's like, what did you do today? Well, I stuck a person into another person via needle. <laughs> what did you do today? I mean, that's what a transfusion is, right? Yeah. Actually, that's a good way of, of putting it. Or a transplant. Sure. Uh -huh. Absolutely. Why not? <laughs> it would be coolest to do the face of the person with their ash. I'm, I'm sure that's happened. Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, I don't know how... If you've ever had cremated remains, it's not fine dust. Oh, there's so, chunks and bone and... It's kind of gritty. Yeah. So, I assume that you would actually have to grind it down even more. Like sure. with a mortal, mortar and pestle or something. Or just clean out your, your coffee grinder. Put that in there. Or shake it out so that you get the very, very bottom dust. Yeah, the silt. Yeah, that makes sense. Because obviously yeah. chunks of sand aren't going to go through no. a needle. Wouldn't that be funny if but you... But how would you do it hand poke? Like... Well, the same way you do it with the machine. Mm. I mean, it's just... You're just adding it to the tip? You're at, you're, well, you're adding it. You probably mix it in with the ink. Yeah. You just do it that way. And then try to put it in there. I would almost say to get a better bang for your buck, I just make them into a smoothie. Because then you know you're getting that person in you. And wouldn't it be funny... <laughs> You tattooed them in, into somebody and, uh, and the tattoo got infected. It's like, well, they really don't want to be a part of your life. <laughs> I think the tattoo is spoken. Uh, yeah, there was a documentary I was watching where this group would take their deceased and cremate them and then take some of their ash and put it into a, a, basically their version of a smoothie. And the idea is we you'd get some of their um, powers, some of their abilities. Mm -hmm. So, 
Yeah, I don't think that's unique. I don't know if you could take a little baggie down to Jamba Juice and say, hey, could you hook me up? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like this to be my power up. My. You know, this is similar to the food conversation because what's the difference? Right? No, it's true. It's true. It's what so we What's be... the difference between eating a steak and eating cremated remains? Yeah. It's our opinion of it. If it's, it's yeah, our, yeah. It's how we've been conditioned. It's our concept of what we're eating. Yeah. Well, and the weird thing is, you know, for some of those who really see animals as something so much more, and I'm definitely feeling that and starting to feel that more and more, uh, is how, how will history judge us? There's been some horrific um, atrocities done to humans in his, uh, throughout history, and they've shown these piles of bodies of people, and it's how it affects us today with the way we see life. I wonder how people in you know 100 years or 500 years or 1,000 years will look back and seeing these animal carcasses that we pile up constantly, mm-hmm. and if they'll view us similarly. Um, I don't know if it'll go that direction, but it would be interesting to kind of be viewed as kind of villains in that way, or if they even would, but it's something interesting to entertain. Will we be viewed as in as villains on the on our eating habits and what we've accepted as being okay? Mm-hmm. And it's extreme to think of it because it is this mass brainwashing. And conditioning and we are social creatures and we don't want to be ostracized from the group because at a primal level that means death that's a death sentence mm-hmm. so yeah people who have courage to go a different direction and go against the grain even you know if it's something as small as diet but you know what's really interesting is i've had people get weird when i tell them that i eat vegetarian diet and i don't push it on anybody but i'll i'll get some reaction some pushback on it it's really interesting so there's like this guilt or something a preemptive strike or something mm-hmm. I well know. i mean let's compare it to our earlier non-recorded conversation mm-hmm. of white fragility and is it that immediate defensiveness for fear of being judged. Like, yeah. you know, calling someone out on a racist behavior, not necessarily calling them racist, but being like, hey, I need you to like acknowledge that what you're doing is actually what exactly we're talking about. It doesn't mean that you are quote-unquote racist, but you're having some racist behaviors or, or prejudiced behaviors. And maybe it's that defensive, that, that same defensiveness that's, immediately coming out if someone's you know being asked about their eating habits yeah that makes a lot of sense i mean it's easy for people to feel i would imagine defensive about people being called murderers and you know or feeling like one i don't know being viewed as one by somebody you don't know i don't know well it's really unfortunate because i think part of the problem is marketing and i know that sounds counterintuitive but marketing of vegetarianism and veganism came at a time when people really felt empowered to shame other people rather than educate oh yeah and even 
well-meaning groups ended up doing things that isolated people rather than bringing them into into the the group that could understand why they mean it it me it it makes them immediately defensive rather than open to listening and that's so many issues today yeah absolutely politically it's huge right now but i'm just thinking like for example locally there was there used to be a mink farm out by monroe did you know this no and of course i don't want people wearing minks i don't want animals raised for their fur i mean but how is that different than eating them i guess Mm. now looking back at it but these well-meaning people and i don't know if they were actually part of PETA or they were another organization but they went to the farm and released all these minks (laughs) yeah well these minks had been raised in captivity sure they all died Because they didn't know how to feed themselves, or yeah. they got run over by cars, or yeah. eaten by predators, or, sure. you know, you can't do that. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't free the orca that was captured in the wild, <laughs> you know, and that yeah. it shouldn't go back to the wild. Well, you just gotta, I think you gotta shut those places down. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a natural progression for a social consciousness to develop and grow and say, oops, I think we did that one wrong. Mm-hmm. Let's let's change. Let's not continue down that path. And but we have a really hard time doing that because it feels like the admission of yeah. being wrong yeah. is a judgment on our character rather than Absol- a learning opportunity. Absolutely. And that's a, that's a cultural issue that it doesn't... <laughs> that's, I think, what makes growth in this world but especially this country so slow is the way we view a mistake Mm -hmm. and instead of saying congratulations you realize you made a mistake and now you're you you're big enough to make shift that it's socially kind of frowned upon Mm -hmm. and saying dude nice job you know (laughs) good fuck up man Mm mm-hmm which is really a shame because, uh, man, we could do, there could be so much growth. So much growth. Because I think the human condition is we are supposed to make mistakes. That's going to happen. Failure is part of it. But what do you, what you do with it, how people perceive it, that's, um, that's really where I think the good stuff happens. That's my story. And you're sticking to it? I'm sticking to it. I'm sticking poking to it. <laughs> oh, it's so hard for people to admit when they were wrong because they don't get praised for learning. They get shamed for being wrong in the first place, yeah. even if they had no way of knowing otherwise. Yeah, it's true. And that goes with everything, especially right now. Yeah, yeah, I, it's really hard, you know. <laughs> it's been a very hard journey for me, reading books about racism and accepting, you know, my role as a white male in our society and... At the beginning of this process was extremely difficult, uh, and I know it was my ego, and I know you know, and I I dealt with the whole oh my god, I'm an asshole, I'm a piece of shit, you know the whole. But that's exactly the point. That people react that way, but why though? You know, if you didn't know better. Yeah. And once you learn better, you change. Well, I think... That's a good thing. (laughs) You know, it is, but I think it goes back to that being shunned from the group. I think it goes back to that fear of, I will no longer... Oh, that stinks. Hmm? That stinks. 
things right in the middle. Oh, gotcha. Blow on it. It's burn. First time I've ever blown on a, a tattoo. This is a great day. <laughs> is that better? Yeah, thank you. I may have put too much alcohol in this mixture. Whew. Or no, witch hazel. But man, is it sure clean. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's all these conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. Love a good conspiracy theory. I mean, I'm a fan of being entertained by conspiracy theories until it happens to yes actually interfere with public health. Like? Like the quote-unquote pandemic. Oh, that's interesting. Plandemic. I haven't heard this one. <sighs> Can't believe I'll, I'll spare you the details, but basically it's part of a larger conspiracy that this whole COVID and wearing masks and shutting this thing down are a conspiracy to control people. And to take away freedoms. With, ma and with masks, you're going to control their breathing habits? <laughs> I don't really know. Fully understand. That's awesome. And, you know, it, it comes out of fear. Yeah. And it comes out of people, you know, I think everybody on some level thinks they're right about whatever. Sure. That they think. Absolutely. The human condition. Sure. And when that's challenged. Mm-hmm. Depending on where the source is, that's going to depend on how you're going to react. That's part of the reason, you know. Mm. And when you have a certain ideology and certain belief system and certain information that you believe to be true, and it's challenged by the quote-unquote coastal elites. Do you say the postal elite? <laughs> coastal. Coastal. Not you. Postal. Ex-postal. <laughs> I was going to say. Um, Sweet. It, you know, it's again like the other, and I can't trust you because your values aren't the yeah. same as mine. Yeah. And therefore, you must be whatever. Hold <laughs> in the blank. And I've seen so many of these arguments, especially in just, you know, to make it super simple, but just talking about masks, for example. People saying, you can't muzzle me. You're taking away my freedoms. <laughs> um... Oh, I actually saw one friend of mine on Facebook post, the government is trying to, they're lying to us about all this stuff, and which is funny because the government at this moment is not a cohesive unit anyway, mm. to say the least. But um, True. she put a, a meme up of five things that she felt like were true. Okay. And she was like, I get ostracized for speaking my mind and telling, you know, pushing against the grain and this and this. And then the things that she posted, the five things, like four of them are totally true. That socialization boosts immunity. It's scientific that mm -hmm. when you're socialized, which means a lot of different things, you mm. have social connection. It's good for your well-being, physically and emotionally. Sure. And spiritually and in every way. Yep. It makes you healthier to have social connection. This is a known fact. Uh, another one of the things was <clears throat> that your heart energy goes out six feet. And the electromagnetic pull of your heart is six feet. Cool. So you get a connection with the person next to you when you're physically close to them. So, of course, that 
you know, is translated in the conspiracy theory of they're trying to keep us apart. Oh, I like it. To keep us down. Six feet. Yeah, there Six it is. Uh, but that's not, you know, they're not saying that explicitly. That's just one of the four things that, that I agreed mm. with. Okay. The fifth thing was you can't get this disease except for through your bloodstream. Oh. And I... I don't often reply because, honestly, it's not worth the fight. Mm. Which makes me sad because I do want to engage in discourse. But because people feel so attacked at this point, mm. And it's almost impossible for anybody to have any kind of civil discourse on social media. Now, mm. in person you can, mm. usually. <laughs> if it's someone you know. Mm. But online... It feels like, okay, I'm putting my ideas out here and you're challenging me in front of everyone, so I have to double yeah, down. I have to defend myself. Even, no matter how nice you say it, you know. Mm. And surprisingly, I did not get a response to my response. But on this one, I did feel like, as someone in the healthcare field, <laughs> I said, I respect the convictions of your beliefs. And I just have to say that I scientifically disagree with you that this is a blood-borne pathogen. Although there are many, this is not one. But I fully agree with the other four, you know? Yeah. I did not get a reply. <laughs> this is me chiming in. I did actually get a reply eventually, and she appreciated my respectful tone and nature of conversation. But other people had replied, thanks for speaking the truth and this and this, and it's like, but why... Why is there this pushback, especially lately, it seems like, but it could have been for a long time, against science? Oh. There's this huge pushback against science and anything scientific. Well, I wonder if that's people thinking, if you're thinking in conspiracy, then how can you trust science if that's actually just helping the conspiracy? It's conspiracy theorists and I think religious folk. Do you think it's... Do you think it's I mean, science has been persecuted throughout history, right? I mean, sure. And science gets it wrong sometimes. Science gets it wrong. I make fun of my friends who believe exclusively in science, and I say, well, that's your religion. And they're like, no, it's not. I'm like, yeah, it kind <laughs> of is. That is your religion. Yeah. And that's okay. And I think there's a lot of stuff out there that science can't explain yet. I think there's a lot of things that will be explainable, but we're not there yet and how often has that happened through history so yeah. I, I think that's been a uh, part of the problem with science is it's so dismissive because unless it can see it and prove it then it doesn't exist and that's going to depend on how science what evolution that they're at where they're at on understanding and so that's the limit mm. i can only understand and scientifically <clears throat> prove up to this point so that's as far as I will go. Yet there are things around us that cannot be proven or understood, but they're still happening. So right. I think science's best thing is like, well, I don't know. But if it's being shunned or laughed at in some circles, and but it's still there. So I think science is just a big, is a part of the puzzle. It has to be for me, and I can only speak for me. It needs to be... There's aspects of science that, yeah, I mean, come on, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but beyond science and what makes sense, what is there? And honestly, 
science can be bought and it has been bought to try to pull out certain aspects of something to be able to sell something, to sell an idea, to sell a product. When science gets in bed with capitalism, which I think there's a lot of it, it's hard to know what to trust. We just talked about diet. Like, what do, what do we trust? Right. Well, where's the science? And when you murky the waters, and that's what I think big business and the government can and, and does do, all they have to do is create a little bit of doubt, and then they've got you where they want you, right? Right. So where does science fit in with that? Where can you get pure science? Where can you have a healthy piece of pie of science to put into your, your chest of, of knowledge or ideas? Uh, it's a tough one. And it, I think it takes a lot of research and I think you have to really dig. But I think, I think that's where you get the good stuff if, if you're willing to really dig for it and not be okay with the shit that's presented with you on mainstream media or um, most easy to, to access internet sites. <laughs> I think you bring up some very valid points. Yeah. Lord knows I've had enough experiences to question. And I still question. I still question all the time. I think about my dad's a man of science, yet he still has these phenomena that happen to him that he can't explain that he tries to through science. And it's, I don't think he does, often does a good job. And I think about things and I think about how the way I think of things would be really neat and tidy if I was to reflect on this is happening because I didn't get enough love as a child or I didn't get this or that. I mean, I can piece out what a therapist would probably tell me why I'm experiencing the things I experience. But there's things externally from me that can't be explained. Mm-hmm that our experience of people who have passed and I've caught up with some of that information. How did I get that? And it's not, it's stuff that was discussed by a third party that knew about it that I didn't. I don't know. Where does science come into that? Is science there yet? I don't know. I don't think so. That's the only thing that kind of holds some of this stuff together for me is like the things that can't be explained that I've experienced. Because there's so much stuff that goes on in my head or voices that I talk to could be explained by how my brain works, my, my ego and, and dealing with trauma. You know, being raised in a family of counselors, it's easy to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and a good conspiracy theory isn't a good conspiracy theory unless it's got enough truth or enough yeah. believability. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise people would just be like, whatever. Yeah. Dismiss it. Yeah. In case I forget to tell you later, it's been fun spending the day with you. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me out. You're always welcome. Thank you. All right, that was my conversation with Ash about tattoos and all kind of different life stuff. If you're still with us, you're amazing and we love you. If you have comments, you can always email me at someDayDeadPC at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at someDayDeadPC. We're on Facebook at Someday We'll All Be Dead Podcast. You know, we always look forward to hearing from you. And in the meantime, wear a mask, take care of each other. This is a tough time. Never before have we gone through this in our lifetime. It's just craziness. So hang in there. We'll get through it. 
and I look forward to making a few more uh, episodes for you that maybe don't take quite as long as this one. This time I don't think I need to remind you that someday we will all be dead. Take care.